You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Today, we uh, have a, a little different setup, obviously, of having a meal, and we're looking at Luke chapter 14. And in Luke chapter 14, Jesus um, goes to a meal. He's invited over to a party at the ruler of a Pharisee's house. It's a big meal. And he uses that meal to teach some kingdom truths. In his, in his masterful teacher way, Jesus takes what, an event that's happened, as we've seen all throughout Luke, and then he turns the tables on the audience, whoever they are, his disciples or the crowds or the Pharisees, and turns it so he teaches him something about the kingdom. And that's what he does today in Luke 14. So we're going to look at that, uh, and we're going to be doing, if this is a little bit different, I'm going to be sharing a little bit. We're going to do, be doing some stuff, sharing, doing some stuff. But we're going to work our way through, not all of, but just a couple pieces of Luke 14. And in this passage, we're going to look at three essential traits of a disciple of Christ. Three essential characteristics of someone who claims to be a follower of Christ. And the first characteristic we see in in verses 7 through 11, and that is humility. In verses 7 through 11, Jesus is emphasizing humility. He says in verse 7, "Now, Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. And he said to them, now he tells a parable. A parable is a story, but it has a kingdom truth by it. He, he tell, it's easy to remember, it's easy to connect the details, but parables always have a punchline. They always have a main emphasis of, of what uh, the kingdom truth. And this is not, the danger here is we think, well, Jesus is just teaching how to have proper party etiquette. Okay? It's bigger than that. This, what he says is probably a good idea at a party, but he's saying much more than that. He's saying this is a characteristic of a life of somebody who's following him. And he noticed, that it's, it's interesting because Luke points out that Jesus noticed that they chose places of honor. He looked around when he arrived and others arrived. He noticed how people sat themselves and they situated themselves in, in the table so that where they sat in, in relation to the host is higher places of honor. And so they thought there. They basically were trying to draw attention to themselves. They were positioning themselves so that people would think more of them, even if they didn't deserve it. They would think more of that. And then Jesus tells us what not to do and what to do. He does a comparison. What not to do and what to do. In verse 8 and 9, he says what not to do. When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say, Give your place to this person, and then you will, be, uh, you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. So what he says is what not to do is don't seek honor for yourself. Don't seek out of your pride to take positions where people will notice you. Not just at dinner parties, but in life as a whole. And the result will be, if you, if you seek those things for yourself, Jesus is saying, you will have shame because at some point, somebody more honorable, more, uh, at least socially, will ask to take your place, and you'll be shamed because you'll be put down. You will publicly, in front of everybody, be asked to go someplace different. So then Jesus contrasts that with the word but in verse 10. He says, but, and now he tells us what to do. What to do. He says, when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. Not just a low place, but the lowest place. So that when, you're, when, when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. 
Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. So this is the exact opposite situation. When you have a when you in your life, you take low places. You serve others and allow the host to say, hey, you know what? You deserve more. Come on up. I want to honor you in front of everybody else. Again, this is more than just table etiquette. Uh, this is life etiquette. And, and it's, he's not, Jesus, it might, when you first read it, it sounds like, well, you're being manipulative. You're trying to get at the head of the table, so you take the low part, so you get in front of everybody else invited up. That's not what Jesus is trying to say. He's, he's, it, just like the parable of the fig tree last week wasn't about farming, right? This one's not about party etiquette. It's about life. It's about walking with Christ. This is the kingdom truth of what it means to follow Christ. And we know this for sure because in verse 11, Jesus gives us his main point with this piece of this parable. He says in verse 11, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's his main point. Um, And this is another case where Jesus reverses the status quo of the culture. He takes what what is common in the culture, you elevate yourself. He's saying no followers of the kingdom do the exact opposite. They intentionally seek the lowest places and uh, and they allow God to raise them up. It says, for everyone, in verse, for everyone who exalts. This is a universal principle. This isn't just about table parties. Everyone, this applies to everybody. And he says, exalt. To exalt something, to exalt is to raise or elevate in rank, honor, power, recognition, praise. So you can raise or elevate yourself, um, or somebody else can elevate you. Uh, that's the positioning here. Being humble is to think of yourself in right way, especially in light of God, since it's the kingdom parable, in light of God, acknowledging our true position before God and acknowledging our dependence on Him. We're humble because we're dependent on God for everything. And he goes through here in this verse 11, he contrasts active and passive verbs. In other words, there's active verb for all you English majors is things we do, right? We're active, we do the activity. Passive is we receive the action. And Jesus intentionally alternates between the two. He says here, For everyone who exalts himself, takes the activity uh, proactively, exalts himself, that's the active part of it, will receive what instead? He will be humbled. He will receive humility. He will receive, he'll be squished, is what he will be. Okay? Or you could say, he who humbles himself, that's the active part. Intentionally taking the lowest seat, intentionally actively humbling yourself, that person will be exalted. People who, who exalt and elevate themselves out of their pride and selfishness will, Jesus is saying, eventually, at some point, God will bring them down. But people who intentionally humble themselves and serve and out of selflessness, God will eventually, He will exalt them in front of everybody. In fact, in Peter and James quote a, a similar passage, but in Peter, we read out of it, Peter says in chapter 5, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Um, and then he says, why? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes, he comes against the proud. I don't know about you guys, I don't need God to come against me, Okay? Uh, that's a big force against you. In our lives and for eternity, God coming against us is not a good, good thing. And yet repeatedly in scriptures, this phrase is, is, is mentioned. God comes against, he will squash the pride, but he will give undeserved favor 
to those who are humble. And, and we have an example of this. If we stop and think, who would be the primary example of this kind of humility? Someone who humbled himself and God exalted him. And this is a great place to give the right name as an answer. Somebody want to... Sh- okay, there you go. Safe answer, okay? Jesus. In, cha- in Philippians chapter 2, uh, Paul is dealing with some of the issues in the Philippian church, and he turns to Jesus as an example, and he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which, was, uh, which is yours in Christ. Hey, I want to point to you the way this looks like in real life. And he says, Who, though he was in the form of God, form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, he didn't hang on to his divinity. He didn't hang on to his status as the king of the universe. He set that aside. And then he said, but he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Jesus actively humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death Even death on the cross, Paul says. He came to the point of obedience and he humbled himself to the point that he was willing to die for our sins. Not for his sins, he had no reason to die. For our sins. The people who are, the scripture talks about are his enemies and are rebellious against God. God takes the form of one of them, comes down and dies for them so that they can have eternal life. That is a sign of humility. And then he goes on, he says in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself, uh, obedient to the Father, and and the result of that was the the Father has exalted him um, in, in all the universe. Jesus is an example of our humility, but he's also more than that. He's the foundation of our humility. He died for our sin, including our sin of exalting ourselves and our pride. When we do that, Christ died for that. We can repent of that. We can turn from that. He also, Christ also, in Christ, we also are accepted and secure and significant because of what he's done. Therefore, we don't have to be fearful of what everybody else in the world thinks. We, we don't have to be fearful of humbling ourselves because we can't get more accepted, more secure, and more significant to God who created the universe. Why are we so worried about all the other people who view us? And also, he also has given us the promise, if we humble ourselves, he will exalt us. He will at some point raise us up and in front of everybody and, he will, and we will receive the honor and grace and mercy from Christ. What we want to do now is just, you'll find on your tables, is in the middle of the table is some index cards. Um, they're big index cards. Do, I'm not, do, ignore the loaves of bread. That will come later, okay? But the index cards, there's a marker there. There's also crayons on your table. This is what we want you to do. Everybody should have, there should be a card for everybody. And what I want you to do is this. I want you to think about this question, and I want you to write an answer on it, Okay? And, um, and then what we're going to do is you can just fold it up if you want to or keep it out, whatever. And then when the offering buckets go around, I want you to put those in the offering buckets, okay? And this is the question. In light of the passage, Jesus just in the point of verse 11, what does it look like in your life to humble yourself? What does it look like in your life, you personally, now, you're free to discuss this with the people at your table. We're going to do this for about five minutes. This is not an hour-long thing, okay? Five minutes. You can discuss it. 
but each of you should write down in the card, what would it look like in your life to humble yourself? Everybody got that? How come I don't see writing? Okay, that's right. Let's go. Five minutes. You guys, you guys got that uh, all figured out? So, we're, when you, you can continue if you need more time to th- think or brainstorm or you have six or seven reasons or ways you can humble yourself, feel free to put them down. Um, and then when the offering buckets come around in a few minutes, I'd ask that you can put those in there. And since they're so big, you're probably going to have to fold them, but we'll put them in there, okay? Jesus, Jesus, the event that Jesus is dealing with hasn't, hasn't ended. He's continuing. And in, in, he, he continues with the story. He continues. It's actually not just a story and event, but then he tells some stories, uh, parables in it. But he then goes through, and remember his, his, the verse 11 was his main thrust at this so far at this point. For everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Excuse me. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility is the big thing on the table. And, um, and then Jesus goes to the next step. Um, he goes, in, the, in verses 12 through 14, he unpacks what humility really kind of looks like in action. What does humility look like in action? And he says in verse, in verse 12, it says, And he said also to the man who invited him. So it, he's continuing. He also said something else. So he's conti- combining it with what he just said in verse 11. And now he addresses his attention to the host himself. And Jesus gives an example of what humility looks like in front of everybody. And again, he gives the contrast of active and passive actions. He tells us what not to do, and then he tells us what to do. He says in verses 12, he says, So he said also to the man who invited him, When you give a dinner um, or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors or the people in your home community. I inserted that one. Lest they also invite you in return and you will be repaid. So the point here, Jesus is saying, when you, ha- when you have a party, when you have festivities, when you're going to put out out of your expense and time and effort, don't invite the people who are going to pay you back. Give to the people is the active part. You're going to give them. That's part of the generosity. But um, to get paid back is the passive. It's to receive back. But then he says what to do in verse 13. But he begins, he begins verse 13 with the word but. He's contrasting these things. Don't do this, but do this. And he says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So in here he's saying, those who, who, um, we are to give, a generous person is someone who gives to those who can't or won't repay us. They cannot. They're the poor, the weak, the powerless. And that's the active part. We give to those kind of people. And in the passive part, they will repay. But notice where the repayment comes. It's not here in this life. It's not here immediately. It's not socially. It's not in the family. He says, for you will be paid at the resurrection of the just. 
Now, what is that? And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this. We talked about in the, in, the, in the flow of the whole Word of God, we are created, and then men fell into sin, and God has sent Christ to redeem us from our sin, and we live in a kingdom age, the church age, and we know that the Bible tells us that Christ is going to return again a second time. His kingdom is already here, but it's not yet complete. So we live during that time. We don't know how long it's going to go. But, when, but either, either we die, like so far everybody's done, or he returns, at some point God says, time's up, it's done. And he says either because of our, we die or because he returns. And at that point there's two basic judgments. One is he judges the believers and the unbelievers. Those who have responded to the gospel of, that Christ died for our sins and repentance and faith, well, we know it, we phrase it as they'll go to heaven. Those who don't will go to hell. But what we sometimes forget is those who are believers will be judged also, again. Now, we're not sure if this is simultaneous. He doesn't, he doesn't brief us on the details. He doesn't need to. He's God. We'll be surprised, okay? But whatever the case is, we know clearly from the Scriptures that believers will face a judgment. Our lives, Paul says, will be completely exposed for everyone to see. And we talked about that in Luke chapter 12. Another place that Paul talks about that, he's talking to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, and he's talking about how their life here in their body is like living in a tent. Okay? That, that our life here on earth in this body is like living in a tent. And everybody understands that analogy. It's temporary. It's not a permanent structure. It's, it's meant to be moved. It's meant for this. But eventually they wear out and they go away. Even, even if we live in a tent in our lifetime. But he says, our bodies are a tent. Eventually, they'll go away and we'll be in heaven and we'll have an eternal dwelling with God. In that, in that language, Paul says, so whether you're at home or away, at home in heaven, or away in our tent, that's being here now, we make it our aim to please Him, to please God. We focus on what it pleases God. We pursue after God. And then he says, why? He says, for... Now, it gives a reason why we do that. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due him for what, is do- what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. He's talking to Christians. He's saying, you, you live to please God. You, f- you follow Christ now. One reason is because someday you're going to give an account for your life. And what was good or evil will be exposed for everyone to see. Now, the words good and evil in English are a little, it's a little misleading. The word evil doesn't mean like being like a murderer or a rapist or that kind. We think of evil in that kind of sense. The word basically can be construed as worthless, of no account, producing no gain. And the word good is things that are worthwhile. So basically he's saying what our life is going to be exposed is what are the worthless things in our life, the things that we did that didn't produce any eternal gain, and what are the things in our life that we did do that had eternal gain, that we have reward in heaven, we have acknowledgement in heaven. We'll acknowledge that's all from God's grace and some mercy, but there is something there. And that's what Paul's saying. Jesus is saying at the resurrection of the just, those who are generous, will be, they will be acknowledged as generous. Generosity is giving uh, what we have to those who don't have it, who, who need it. Generosity is seeking the benefit of others and not ourselves. Generosity is many different forms. We often think of generosity as in terms of money, giving. But there, you can be generous in multiple ways, in hospitality, 
uh, acts of kindness, service, words of affirmation. You can be generous to people in, in, in your kind words to them and not get it back. But it's still generosity, and you do so out of humility. Now here's the key idea with generosity. Generosity is given. It is not exchanged. Biblically, generosity is given, but it's not exchanged. If you're exchanging something, you're not being generous. It's not out of humility. And, and in the gospel, we have, again, Christ as an example of that. We, we are the poor, the weak, the powerless that he invites to the table. He is, he is doing what he has said in this object lesson. He does that to us. We're the powerless, the weak, and the poor who, need, who can't provide for ourselves, but he provides for us the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of sins. And not only that, he provides for us God's righteousness before, before God, his righteousness before God. We don't just forgive in our sins. We actually are before God, sons and daughters of God, and, and part of the family. That's even more. In Ephesians, Paul talks about in chapter 2, but God being rich in mercy, God has a lot of mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, for even when we were dead in our trespasses, you can't be more powerless and weak than dead. Okay? And when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, so in both now and for eternity, he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For eternity, we are all who are with Christ are going to be wondering, like, isn't that incredible? The grace just doesn't, the mercy that he poured on us is just incredible. We will be given praise and glory to God because we will look back on our lives and give him credit for the things that happened. We cannot pay him back for what he has generously given us. Christians should be the most generous people in the world. Unfortunately, we're not known for being the most generous people in the world, whether in acts of kindness or financially or in any other ways that could happen. And we love, why? Why do we love other people? Why are we humbly serving and generous to other people? We love because he first loved us. We love in a response. We are humble because he was already humble. We are generous because we have received generously from God all that he has given to us. So now we're going to spend some time, and we're going to um, um, worship God. I'm going to ask, uh, ask the worship team to come on up. And we're going to spend some time thanking God for his generosity. We're going to be thanking God for his grace and his mercy that overflows to us. And I want you to, we're going to sing and worship. Also during this time, the, the offering buckets will be passed around the tables. Um, this is a time to give us your offering, or not give us. You don't give us anything. You give it to God. It's an offering. It's a tithe. And also, your, your, um, how you plan on humbling yourself, um, put those in there too, okay? Anyways, we want to continue with Jesus' traits in the story, in the event. I keep saying story. It's actually an event he happens, and he leverages that meal, like we're having, and tells them, leverages it to tell them kingdom principles. And he's, the event is continuing at this point. And, it gets, and Jesus was already a little forward with the people there. What was, what was the first trait that he described? Somebody tell me. Humility. humility. He describes humility. We're going to humble ourselves or we will be humbled. Okay? The second trait, as he turns and uses the host himself as an object lesson, 
He, what was the second trait that he wanted to emphasize? Generosity. The way you know somebody's humble is they're generous with what they have. They give it away. Okay? But Jesus continues. The point Jesus has, and the story continues, his, his event he unpacks continues. And the third characteristic is probably one that's a little less obvious. Nobody, nobody here probably is too shocked with the idea that humility and generosity are part of the character traits of a disciple of a Christian. But the next one we don't talk about as much, but is in Scripture equally part of that. And that is the next uh, character trait. The next trait of a, a disciple is accountability is accountability. He says in here, in verse 15, Doug read it, that when they were, um, when one of those who reclined at the table, now he just, he just gave the two parables, it was very poignant, and one of the people at there, <coughs> reclined, heard these things, he said, the, the person reclining there, they, they, by the way, did not sit around tables like we do. You often hear in the scripture, they reclined. The tables were much lower. They, lay, they laid down and their feet were pointed out. We see this event. Jesus got his feet washed by the woman and stuff like that. So when it says they reclined, they literally reclined at the tables. But one of those who had reclined at the table with him heard these things and he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. Real, real spiritual thing to say in the, in the presence of Christ when he's talking about kingdom truths. Blessed is is uh, everyone who will eat in the bread in the kingdom of God. And this person responds to Jesus, and he's actually being kind of presumptuous. He's actually assuming that he will be there at the, at the end of the kingdom, when the kingdom comes, eating bread with the king. That's, that's what he's saying. Hey, look at And why does he do that? Well, look at me. I'm in the, an event, a public event, with the rulers of the Pharisees. I'm with the religious elite. I'm one of them. So obviously I'm in. Obviously I'm one of the guys. And this, I'm looking forward to being there at the king with him. Jesus calls him out on it. Jesus calls him out on it. And, he, we, and Doug read the story. Jesus tells, tells him another parable. There's a man who, who is very wealthy. and He has a great banquet. He invites lots of people. And, and so he sends out his invitation. And he sends his servants out to get the people. It's time for the party. Back then, often banquets lasted days, if not weeks. It wasn't just, hey, from 6 to 10, show up. They, they were big events, and they lasted quite a while. So you need to go get everybody and come in. I'm ready now for this huge party. And he sends his servant out. And when he, and he sends them out, they, we, we, Jesus specifically says, but, in verse 18, they all alike began to make excuses. They, what did they do? They respond. The, ma- the wealthy person invited them in, and they make excuses. And, and he gives us some samples of those excuses. I bought a field. So I gotta go. I gotta go check out my field. Or I bought some oxen. So I gotta go check out my oxen. Or I just got married. Okay. Enough said. I I gotta stay home. Okay. And that's what Jesus gave as examples of of people who made excuses. So and then what the master does is he says, "Listen, I, I have a party. We're having the party. If they the original invitees won't come, let's get some others." So he says the servants out and they get more and they find whoever they can find. Not the rich, not the well-known, not the famous, not the people that socially would have expected to come. He, gets to, he again come, brings up the poor, the lame, the unwanted. Those are the people who come. And they come, and he says, okay, let's have the party. Wait a second, there's still more room. Why is there more room? And, well, we, the servants, we got everybody. No, you need to go get some more people. You need to go even farther out. You need to go into the byways and highways. If they're in a ditch, passed out, bring them in. 
Okay? We're having a full house at this party. And that's, what, and that's the story. And then Jesus ends that by saying, For I tell you, none of those who were invited shall taste of my banquet. Those initially who were invited, the people he shared with initially, will not taste of it. Now, the master in this, as we unpack this, the master is, who represents God. It's a parable. Okay? So it's a kingdom truth. That's God. He's, he's invited. He's very generous. He generously invites people to his banquet and blessings. The announcement goes out. Come, receive all these blessings. Come and join the party. But people are invited, who are invited make excuses. In Jesus' day, it first pointed to the nation of Israel. It first pointed to them. They're God's people. They're God's chosen ones. And he initially spoke to them and said, Listen, the kingdom's here. Come on in. And what was their response? No. So Jesus went and others in the church and to the Gentiles and it spread to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We're going to keep going until this place is filled. And, and they keep making excuses. And, and the very basic reason for the excuses, even though there's all sorts of excuses, all the excuses really have something in common. Okay? I'm not going to the party. I'm not going to banquet because something else is more important to me. Something else is more important to me. Something else is preventing me from going and enjoying the blessings of the Master. And what, it's not necessarily doing evil things. These are, hey, I got a bank to rob or I got to murder somebody. It wasn't evil things, were they? Now, here's something to notice by Jesus' examples. Don't, don't, don't miss this too, too quickly. What were the three things Jesus said that people made excuses? What were the three examples that Jesus gave of the excuses of people who won't, who won't be there at the coming banquet? Possessions, work, and family. The primary things that keep people out of the kingdom and enjoying the final banquet are possessions, work, significance in who we are, and family. That's what Jesus names as the primary excuses. And he says, those who use these excuses uh, will not get there. But the seats will be filled. The seats of the banquet will be filled. Those who do respond to the invitation are not those who the world highly thinks of. That's one of his points. It, they're out in the highways, the byways. The people socially rejected, they're the ones who are going to respond because they're going to be grateful for what the blessings of the kingdom, and they're going to get that. They don't deserve it. None of them deserved it. Not even the initial invitees deserved it. They thought they did, so therefore they made excuses. But everybody will come. The banquet, and this is another key part, Jesus says, is the banquet will be filled, and we are going to have a big party, and it's going to last for eternity, basically. And every, all the seats will be taken. And when they're taken, that's when things are going to happen. Ironically, those who selfishly seek the best for themselves now get nothing then. Ironically, those who... who um, I want to find places of honor and have other things to do in their life now will not receive the blessing then. And in the banquet imagery that Jesus uses, and he's actually experiencing, leveraging for them, he's, he's talking around to people that even, even uh, when they, um, those who seek honor and think, elevate themselves on the day of judgment, those who humble themselves, they're the ones who are going to enjoy the eternal blessings. In the book of Revelations, we have not only descriptions of this throughout the Bible, but even at the book of Revelation, in chapters 20 and 21, everything ends and God creates the new heavens and the new earth. Everything changes. In chapter 19, just before that big event, we read these words. 
Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like a roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and he, His bride has made herself ready. We, the church, Christians, are the bride of Christ. We're the bride. We're showing up for the wedding feast. And he says, um, and, and it was granted to her, granted, it was given to her, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Again, the worth, worthwhile things that they've done. In verse 9 he says, And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. A big event, a big picture of what heaven will be like is a banquet, a wedding banquet. We're all collectively the bride of Christ, marrying Christ, and there will be a huge banquet, and all the seats will be filled. The question is not whether the banquet hall will be filled. It will be filled. The question is, who is going to be in there? That's what Christ is pointing out. Christ is pointing out that, hey, you think you're in, why do you think you're in? Have you responded in humility to the call of the gospel or not? Many people who are invited will not respond, the scripture says. Many people who will make excuses as to why they cannot respond to the call of the gospel and why they cannot respond and follow Christ in the here and now. And they'll know about that in the life after. The question Jesus confronts his audience at that banquet with, and the, Je the question Jesus confronts each of us with is the same question in light of this story. He says, are you one of the ones making excuses? Are you one of the ones? He's responding to one man's thing. Are you one of the ones making one of those excuses? And that's how Jesus ends this event. He actually goes on and explains, unpacks a little bit more, but that is the highlight of that kind of thing. We're going to now do another activity. The, the message is over. That's how we're ending this message. Are you one of those ones? What am I saying? Are you one of the ones making excuses? I, to not reply, respond in repentance and faith to the gospel. To not follow after Christ in the here and now to be invited into the banquet that will last for eternity. This is what you're going to do. On your table, you'll find little loaves of bread. Okay? There's at least one for everybody. There actually should be a couple extra there. Okay? This is what we want you to do. We want you to spend a few times thinking. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to ask you some time thinking prayerfully. Do you make excuses in, in the call of Christ to follow him? And if so, what are some of those excuses that you make here, now in life, for not following Christ? Okay? You decide what that looks like, what that means. You can use the crayons. You can use the markers. Um, um, if you're going to use the permanent marker, you might want to put one of those index cards underneath it or right on your plate, just in case it bleeds through. Sorry, a little practicality here. Okay? So um, we want you to write this. And what we're going to ask you to do is prayerfully think, as we, during the next worship set, as we think, we want you to write on that something that, that may be an excuse in your life for not following Christ fully. 
Then what we're going to ask you to do is you can do it as individuals, as a family, or as a whole table. You guys decide at your table. We want you to come over here, and there's tape to the left of this picture, and we want you to take some of the tape, make a little loop in the back, put it on the back, and tape it to the picture. Okay? We're going to make a collage, is that the right word? Of all our excuses. Okay? So write them down there. What would be those excuses? You can talk among yourselves if you want. We're also going to be singing a little bit. Um, write it there. Take it over here. And then we want you to tape it to the board. Then we want you to come back after you've done that. The music's going to be playing this time. And, we, and you notice on the center of your table is the communion elements. Okay? There's some juice. There's a loaf of bread. And there's some what look like crackers. Those are gluten-free. So if you're gluten-free, you got the crackers. Okay? And then the bread. What we want you to do is after you have taped your excuse, excuses to the board, we want you as a table to come back and together take communion together. The music will be playing during this time, just like normal, but you do it when you're, when you're done, okay? Am I forgetting anything? Um, what we'd like you to do, well, we'll see. We'll, uh, Monica, we'll see who the humble person is that will serve the rest of them, okay? okay we'll do hint, hint. Okay? If one of you wants to serve the rest communion, is what Monica is saying, that would be a nice thing to do since it's in the middle of the table. Okay? Any questions? Let's do it. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.